Hi, I'm your host, Brendan Byrne. Before we get started, I want to take a quick minute and tell you how this podcast is funded. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, an independent public radio station here in Orlando. We get our funding from listeners just like you. With this funding model, we're able to explore topics in depth and with no bounds, just like this podcast. So if you value the independent exploration of this program, help fuel those efforts. You can do that by making a donation online at wmfe.org support. As a gift for a donation of $32.10, 3210, get it? We'll send you the official Are We There Yet mission patch. Thanks. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, Are We There Yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Space philosopher Frank White says it's time to start thinking about the next steps in human space exploration as we begin to leave this planet in larger numbers. White is the author of the book Overview Effect, which chronicles the cognitive shift in awareness reported by some astronauts during spaceflight, often while viewing the Earth from outer space. But now more and more humans will leave this planet thanks to private companies like Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic and other thinkers and innovators like Elon Musk foresee a future where people live on other planets other than Earth. Well, in his new book, The Cosma Hypothesis, White challenges us to think about broad philosophical issues that relate to human spaceflight and to outline some ground rules for all of humanity to follow. White joins us via Skype to talk about those questions, and he begins the conversation talking about the overview effect. The overview effect is an experience that I documented beginning in the 1980s that astronauts and space travelers have, and it results from seeing the Earth in a way that those of us on the surface have never seen her, and that is to see the Earth both from space and in space. And those are two complementary perspectives, I would say. One is you're out there either in orbit or on the moon, and you're seeing part or all of the Earth. And that draws your attention for sure. Astronauts have had a lot to say about what they learned about our planet. But then you see the Earth in the backdrop, uh, against the backdrop of the universe. So you see that it is a planet, and as many people are starting to understand, it's a natural spaceship. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has occurred to me is that we are actually exploring space right here on Earth in that our spaceship is moving through the universe. We're never actually in the same place. We're, in fact, always moving and exploring in a way. It's just the difference is we don't have much control over it. Frank White, you, you spoke to hundreds of people that have had this experience. Is there one that particularly sticks out in your mind from, from your years of research and, and conversations with these mm -hmm. astronauts? Well, before somebody fact checks us, I should say I haven't actually spoken directly to quite that many, but I've certainly studied uh, a large number and I've spoken to quite a few. So I think that Edgar Mitchell's experience stands out in a way, and it's particularly relevant to the new book, mm -hmm. because after working on the overview effect for three decades and 
focusing mostly on the experience of the planet, I realized that many of them were also talking about their experience of the universe. <clears throat> and I always knew that from Edgar Mitchell's interview, which was done in person. And it's rather clear that he had an experience of unity with the universe itself. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was mind blowing. No question about it. I think there are a few things that contributed to it, Brendan. One is he was prepared. He was open. He wanted to see what would happen with this new experience of being in outer space. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, he was returning from the moon after having fulfilled his mission. He was able to relax a little bit. You know, the astronauts are always working. Right. <laughs> they don't have time to take it in all the time, right? <laughs> no, we're not sending them out there to have an experience. <laughs> and, and yet they managed to have these experiences. But I think he was a person who was philosophical by nature. Uh, he had the time. He'd been to the moon. And he, he did have that experience of seeing the Earth in space. Mm-hmm. And he came to experience the unity and oneness, not only of the Earth, which many astronauts have seen, but also of the cosmos. And uh, that really does stand out. But another thing that stands out in interviewing him, it was very clear that perhaps uniquely among the astronauts, he wanted to transfer that into a philosophy, mm -hmm. a way of thinking and that, that, in a way, is the quest that I've been on, is how does this reality that we're becoming a spacefaring civilization, how does that transform our thought processes? How, how, do, we, how do we approach this next stage in a new and different way? And, and you outline that in, in the Cosmo Hypothesis, Implications of the Overview Effect, which is your latest work. Um, and it's kind of based on the fact that you know, we are becoming a more space-faring civilization, right? There are, you know, private astronauts about to be able to see the curvature of the Earth and the blackness of space through companies like Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin. There are private companies that are looking to mine asteroids in the moon. Um, there are other folks like Elon Musk who wants to colonize Mars and actually put human beings on another planet so you've got a lot of things that you challenge us to think about when it comes to this. Give us yeah. some of those tasks that, that we have to, we have to yeah. think about if, if this is going to work. Well, Brendan, I've been around a while, and I've been involved in space advocacy for many years. What is space advocacy? It's, it's touting the value of space exploration. And I think for many years... We, uh, those of us in that movement, were working to convince our friends and neighbors that leaving the planet was a good thing, a positive thing, for many, many reasons. And one of them, of course, is experiencing the overview effect. That's a good thing. That's an outcome. I think we transitioned now to the point where we can stipulate it is going to happen humanity is going to leave the planet. And I say leave the planet rather than go into space because we're already in space. We can't be anywhere else. The Earth has always been in space. Right. 
and it won't ever be anywhere else. So I think we have to look at our language and say, humanity in vast numbers will be leaving planet Earth. So now the question is, how do we do it in a positive way? And in particular, you've put your finger right on it. I ask myself, 500 years from now, will our descendants look back and they will say we did it in a good way, not just that we did it. I think of Columbus, who for many years was seen as a hero in the United States, and we even had a Columbus Day. It's rapidly disappearing as we rethink his legacy, and we're moving into Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't want to see that happen to the pioneers of this era of exploration. So. The Human Space Program, which is an idea that I came up with in writing the first book, and which is described in more detail in this book, envisions task forces tackling the really hard uh, questions that are really connect, they're not connected with what we often think about, like reusable rockets and how are we actually going to get people there. It's more of the ethical issues. For example, Carl Sagan famously said, if we found primitive life on Mars, it should be off limits to humans. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Carl ever talked to Elon Musk, but they would, they would have quite a boisterous discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, Elon has an idea that's, you know, uh, it's all about preserving humanity, not not preserving primitive life on Mars. But that it, it is a real question. Um, uh, that's a question that could be relevant throughout the solar system. Is is there an appetite to even having that discussion right now, Frank White? I mean, we're we're the hardware to move to take people off this planet isn't even built yet, and even with all of these. Uh, commercial opportunities happening for private astronauts and, and vacation astronauts, um, it's only going to be a very small handful of people not going very far. Is, is this the time to be having the conversation now, or is, or is this something that we need to wait um, 10, 20, 30, hundreds of years from now to be even mm. having it? Well, I have found an appetite for it, Brendan, actually. Uh, I've talked to quite a few people about this idea, and quite a few people have said I agree, we should have these task forces, we should tackle these questions. And and I would say that the idea is to roll up the task forces into a comprehensive blueprint mm -hmm. for exploring and developing the solar system. It's going to take us five years to do that. So I think we're barely ahead of the curve. And the other reason I think it's somewhat urgent is that I, I agree with you, you know, as we look at it right now, we're 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 not really back to the moon yet, um, but it seems to me that things could take off very rapidly in the near future. And let me just give one example. Um, the role of the military as we move outward is going to be very important. And clearly decisions are being made today in countries around the world about that. There's not enough discussion and debate about that. And similarly, um, 
the question of the Outer Space Treaty signed in 1967 is being raised. As you probably know, the, the question of private property was left a little bit ambiguous in the treaty. Mm-hmm. We, we know that nobody can declare sovereignty over a celestial body, but there have been some real mental gymnastics about, well, can we actually mine an asteroid right. under the treaty? So it's pretty practical in a way at the moment. And I think that, you know, maybe we're ahead of the curve, but I'd rather be ahead of it than behind it right now. Right. Well, Frank White, I'm glad you mentioned the, the Outer Space Treaty because I was going to bring that up, that there are um, there are voices out there that are saying it's time to, you know, renew this. I mean, this is a treaty that was from 1960s. I mean, you yeah. know, we're more than 50 years from then. Um, but it's all based, as you mentioned, on these commercial opportunities. Mm. Do you think that the the ground rules of of as you say taking humans to off of this earth are going to be driven by commercial interest and and not human interest? Is is that where this is going? Well, my hope is that there will be a balanced public private partnership because I think a a totally uh, government driven space effort would not have the dynamism, the innovation, and uh, energy, let's say, that a private uh, enterprise program will have. We, we really need these entrepreneurs out there. And just think about reusability, Brendan. It, it's Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos who solved that problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, NASA and the other government agencies have had a long time to do what they did. Uh, so I think we need to have the entrepreneurs. That's another reason to have this conversation right now. I am very encouraged when we look at the big three, uh, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. And I can tell you from talking to other entrepreneurs, if we look at the people doing this, almost all of them have a bigger vision than just making money. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos doesn't need to make money, and Branson and Musk are pretty well off too. And in talking to them, they all have a, a much larger vision of humanity expanding outward and it being a good thing for humanity and for the earth. Again, I don't see anybody saying, and, and you know, I, I never have interviewed an astronaut where I said, what, what did you get out of being in orbit or going to the moon? I've never talked to one who said, oh, you know, I got that it's really more interesting out there. And, you know, we should just leave the Earth behind and get out there into the solar system. They don't say that. They say, I got a greater appreciation for our home planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to preserve it. We can't we can't ignore it just because we're we're leaving Uh, or some of us are leaving. Frank White, I want to talk about something else that that you brought up in in the book, uh, Cosmo Hypothesis, Implications of the Overview Effect, and that's this kind of departure from the us-first mentality um, that kind of led us through our, you know, our first golden age of space exploration going to the moon. But, you know, as you say, we can't do it as, as... one country or one organization it has to be this kind of international 
collaboration of people. Talk a little bit more about departing from that us-first mentality and, and why that's so imperative for, for the future of, of human space exploration. As I was finishing writing the overview effect, the reason the term human space program came to me was that there were two things that were quite obvious. One, exploring the universe is a bigger project than one nation can possibly accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, one nation, one company, uh, it's, it's a big, <laughs> the more I think about it, it's, it's a very big project for one species like us, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, if, if all of us got involved in it, it would still be a huge project. Uh, so that was number one, and that was the term human space program as opposed to a national space program. And the other thing that comes through is the fact that that's a message from experiencing the overview effect, which is the astronauts see the unity and oneness of the Earth, the interconnectedness of everything on this planet, and they they see that unity as containing all the diversity that we see on the surface. Mm -hmm. So the lesson of the overview effect really is we're all in this together. And I don't think it should change as we leave the planet, but we do need some overarching project or idea or philosophy that will in some ways contain all the diverse efforts that are going to show up mm -hmm. as we have commercial efforts, we have scientific efforts, we have the moon, we have Mars. There's going to be so much going on. I think it's going to be, it, it's going to seem quite chaotic if we don't have some sort of underlying philosophy and plan. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, we've spoken to astronauts on this program, and I'm reminded of speaking with Nicole Stott, who was a shuttle astronaut and was on the International Space Station, and her initial reaction to seeing the Earth for the first time was just how there were no borders and how yeah. everything was just, you were on planet Earth, and, and yeah. that's what it was. And then working in, in an environment where there are national partners on the International Space Station, there was no one country, there was no one organization. It was, you know, the human species was mm. was leading the charge. So. I'm glad you mentioned that, but there, as you mentioned, there's still a need to have that overarching kind of doctrine as to how to how to do this. I mean, and how do you go about writing? <laughs> how do you how do you go about starting this? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping the book is a start. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what impact a book is going to have. I mean, just a little history. When I wrote the overview effect, and it was published in 1987. I had a big vision for it. I thought it would transform our understanding of space exploration and that it would create a revolution in human thought. And then for many, many years, I thought, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like the book had had a small audience of devoted fans, but it really hadn't penetrated the culture. And and now I feel that the idea of the overview effect definitely has. Mm -hmm. With the Cosmo hypothesis, it may or may not happen that way. But again, it is a start. And then secondly, uh, 
I I have incorporated the Human Space Program Incorporated in Massachusetts. Our intention is to get 501c3 status and and in fact begin the process of creating an organization that will um, begin this uh, inquiry, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope to turn it into a plan that we'll share with the major stakeholders and then see what they say. So we're going to be pretty active beyond just writing the book. And I, I hope it will gain traction. And I hope that many people will get involved and take action and be part of this, uh, this project. It's, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Bruce Shackleton, uh, who has, has the name of a great explorer, uh, (laughs) introduced me to the idea of central projects. Uh, and he gave me a bit of writing about central projects like uh, the pyramids, the Gothic cathedrals. And the idea of a central project is something that many, many people in society can contribute to and that brings forth the best energies of, of all of them. So I see this as a central project and I think Apollo was a small mini central project. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if most people are aware of this, but uh, I did some research and wrote another book called The New Camelot about the fact that President Kennedy actually wanted Apollo to be a multinational mission. He approached the Soviets and said, why don't we do a joint mission? And they, they rebuffed him. Eventually they came around and they were... They were interested in it. And then at the United Nations, just before he was uh, killed, President Kennedy proposed a multinational mission to the moon. Mm-hmm. And in a way, what he wanted to do with Apollo would have been a central project for all of humanity. Um, parts of it persist in the International Space Station. And certainly there's... There is actually quite a lot of cooperation going on right now between countries and between companies. So the elements of this cooperative approach actually survived uh, post-Apollo. And and, uh, I think there's hope that we can have as much cooperation as competition as we we undertake this adventure. Finally, Frank White, um, you mentioned the overview effect didn't have the impact that that you had hoped. Um, I'm wondering, in this day and age, with access to information and media and live streams and 4K from the International Space Station and VR and augmented reality, and as we talked about, commercial companies taking people to space... Mm -hmm. Do you think yeah. more people are going to be able to experience that overview effect and, and your work is going to have an impact moving forward? Yes, I do. And I would say, actually, at this point, I'm pretty happy with the impact it's having. Um, and I think that is largely because of the technology that now exists. For example, it, it really took a big step forward when the film overview was put out there. And it's been seen by over eight million people now. And it can be accessed on the Internet. So the next big step, I do think, is virtual reality plus um, 
organizations like Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic actually taking people out there. And one of my major goals in the near future is to begin interviewing the new astronauts. Mm -hmm. The, uh, you know, I don't like the term ordinary people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, you and I are kind of ordinary compared to the original astronauts Uh who went, I mean, you had to be selected out of thousands of people to go. And now you really just have to be able to pay the freight to go, pay the cost. So I don't think they're ordinary at all. But this next step of virtual reality bringing simulations to people on the surface, and then also there are going to be probably in the next year other people like you and me who did not survive a rigorous selection process having the experience and because there's so much more awareness of this as a reason for going i believe people are going to be more prepared for it and my hope is that they will come back and share it with the larger public um There's an organization I've been involved with called Space for Humanity. I don't know if you've heard of Space for Humanity. No, I have not. Okay. Well, Space for Humanity is looking at using the new capability of putting people into suborbital or orbital flight patterns. And people are actually competing to be selected for this experience and what Space for Humanity is looking for is people who never imagined they could afford it, never thought they'd get to go, but they're asking them to come back and be ambassadors and bring this experience and this new consciousness back to their communities. So using the experience as a tool for transformation of society is the next big step, in my opinion. And, fr- and Frank White, are you going to be one of those ordinary people in the future that uh, is going to take a ride on Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic? That's my intention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like uh, I feel like I've I've uh, stood on the shoulders of giants, uh, as a previous uh, philosopher said, uh, physicist actually. I've stood on the shoulders of giants long enough. And uh, it's time for me to go. Um, Just need to save my pennies, Brendan. That's all. (laughs) Well, I'd love to have you back on the show after that, and we'll talk about your experience. Uh, I will come back gladly, and uh, I I will happily share it with your audience. We've been speaking with Frank White. He's a space philosopher and author. You've probably heard of The Overview Effect, Space Exploration and Human Evolution. And his new book is called The Cosma Hypothesis, Implications of the Overview Effect. Frank White, uh, insightful conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Brendan. My pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. As I mentioned before here at WMFE, we're in our silent drive. And we're here to remind our listeners that our programming is supported by you. So if you value this program and the independent journalism this organization provides, give a gift of support. You can do that on our website at WMFE.org. The conversation continues online. Follow us on Facebook. Just search Are We There Yet? Podcast. 
or you can send us a tweet. We're at AEWTYMars. Are we there yet, Mars? Get it? Or if you have a story, idea, or guest pitch, send me an email. Are we there yet? At WMFE.org is the place to do it. More space news online at WMFE.org slash space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>